You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 6 The Truth About Harry Washington, September 3rd, 1883 Catherine Holloway unlocked her office and let the door swing open to find Mr. White sat at her desk, his feet up, leaning back in her chair. The lamp was on, casting its flickering glow over the plates in his armour and the drape of his hood. His elbow was propped up on the tabletop, two fingers resting to his masked temple, and beside them his dark gaze bore through her. Director. Uh. Jesus Christ, White, what the hell are you doing in here? The words were out before Catherine could fully assess her pang of relief. In the seconds afterwards, she pondered the realization that somewhere inside, she had been convinced upon seeing him that he would kill her on the spot, send one of those knives whistling across the room to lodge in her throat, and that would be the end of her short tenure in this position. Forgive my intrusion, I needed to come straight to where the information was warmest. And this is a nice office. There was almost no way to conduct the following conversation without betraying those fears. But Catherine drew herself up to attempt it nonetheless. Please get out of my chair. If you want to book a meeting with me, call ahead. I don't give a shit about your clearance. I won't tolerate rudeness. I can respect that. What do you want? I'm making plans for the holidays. You know how busy things get. And this evening I need you to tell me absolutely everything your agency has regarding the endowments and developing abilities of Dr. James Penrose and Captain Abigail Gray. His tone of casuality was in abject defiance of his presence. You saw for yourself what they were capable of back at Green Hollow. It was certainly impressive. You proud of the way things went down there? Catherine reposted, steadfastly refusing to let this become a one-way cross-examination. That was an appropriate culling of a handful of the worst of possible Americans. Catherine took a step forward, pushing past fear. A lot of some of the best of possible Americans got bullets in them during that process. Worth the sacrifice to you? Their eyes deadlocked as Catherine lowered herself into the chair in front of her desk. I was extremely disturbed by what they had done with themselves since the pandemic. The place had been remade as one of forced birthing. The vulnerable had their very humanity stripped away from them to become breeder stock for those who saw them as inferior. Beneath the mask, his brow furrowed. It was slavery, as plain as day, and I could not abide such things to perpetuate. Not to be allowed even a yard of growth in this damaged and reformed world. What we would become if such things were commonplace would not be worth existence. You'll get no argument from me that what Green Hollow were perpetrating was entirely Abominable. It's the collateral damage to those we are supposed to protect that concerns me. I find myself disposed towards destruction 
when I catch wind of abominable behavior. Penrose and Gray. What of them? How much beyond the shared dossiers have they confided in you? They want to help broker deals with better worlds than ours. How optimistic of them. But my key focus at the moment is Washington and eliminating treachery against this world. How disposed of these two to following the orders they are given? I'm sure you have your gloved hands full. Catherine went on, firmly engaging his glare. You'll find the gutters of this district overflowing with the treacherous element. There are always ringleaders. But then there's those who replace deposed kingpins. Penrose will most likely do as he is told. Those new kingpins are finding much can be achieved with ears and eyes in every shadow. And what of Grey? One hopes their ambitions will not exceed their capacity to manage internal conflict. Grey is Grey. Leave her to me. You have a fractured nation to concern yourself with. I have more than that. Oh yes? What else could be on your plate? White tilted his head with genuine curiosity. We've seen your short-term response to the abominable. Catherine rested her elbows upon the desk and laid her chin steadily upon her interlaced fingers. I'm interested in your medium-term solution. And since we're talking about making plans, do you intend to spend the foreseeable future traveling America? Hmm? Hunting down all those who would abuse their countrymen. Now that you mention it, the thought had crossed my mind. Because that sounds like a course of action to throw you and your department into, which would make you a boon to this administration, while it lasts. Perhaps after I have cleaned house here. His eyes narrowed. That's just it. I ask because it seems that certain local cops have been showing up dead. Each of them with ties to white supremacist movements. And as you might imagine, this has made liaising with our law enforcement volatile. If we do not tear the weeds out by the roots, then all dreams of a flourishing garden are going to be strangled while we sleep. Off the record, whoever has been killing these weeds has both my blessing and my gratitude. But these actions have made this district a dangerous place to operate in. Your awareness of that danger is a healthy instinct. I suggest you use it as a reminder to never trust them enough to forget your armor. I've learned much from past tragedies, sir, I can assure you. But I can also anticipate future ones. Strictly between the two of us, Grant has weeks left to live. It's frankly amazing he's lasted this long. And that being the case, I can't guarantee the safety of your fledgling department or you beyond the appointment of a new head of state. I believe I am past the point of needing guarantees on anything, Director Holloway. That is why I'm urging you to take your interests far afield 
and soon. Because if more police turn up dead, I don't know whether I'll be able to keep the others off your tail. Remain in this city to continue your efforts, no matter how altruistic or just, and you will find yourself with nowhere left to hide. I understand your concerns, but what I am doing is too important to put down for matters as trivial as self-preservation. What? Your dedication is unimpeachable. And I don't doubt that you have a firm overview of what is poisonous to our society if left unchecked. But I like to be clear when I speak. And I don't think you grasp the magnitude of what both of us are courting here. There's talk of a coming second civil war out there. If another one flares up within our walls, this garden you're dreaming about is going to tear itself apart. It's late, White said, rising to his feet. We can talk about the peculiarities of Penrose and Gray some other evening. I would not wish to ever exhaust someone in your strenuous position. Keep up the good work. Catherine nodded at this, and as he circled anticlockwise round the left of her desk, she rose and mirrored him to the right, finally seating herself in her chair of office. I am ensuring, she said to his back, that the grave mistakes made at Green Hollow are being taken care of. He froze in the doorway and turned his head. Thank you, he said quietly, and then melted away into the night. Catherine waited a few more moments before letting her shoulders slump. She shook her spine out and wiped away a trickle of sweat from under her hairline. Washington, September 12th, 1883. Harry emerged, this time to find Truth standing in the doorway of her recovery room. She held a small basket in her hands, and as she stepped forward, Harry noted it was lined with six little yellow cakes. Good morning, Slugabed. Her sister cried a little too loudly. I hope today finds you well. Harry did not respond. Truth laid the basket down, slightly out of reach, and waited. Harry did nothing. Jeremy and Donald sent these Madelines. Jeremy said Donald's are much better, but if he made them himself, you might remember that time in Memphis, at the safe house. Harry thought of Abigail's touch. She knew she wanted to cry, but no tears were coming. They smell delicious. Truth opened the shutters to let the morning air in. If you want one, by all means have one. They were still slightly out of reach. Or not. Maybe I'll eat them. She scooped a cake out of its wicker and wax paper bed and examined it in the sunlight pointedly. It was like a little golden seashell dusted with snowy sugar. Truth raised it to her nostrils and inhaled the warm, lemony breeze. Hmm. She gingerly reached out and held it under Harry's nose. It was a Herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits in the District of Columbia. Care to make my endeavors worthwhile? Her sister turned her head and gazed out of the window. 
Are you punishing me for something? Because this is the height of bad manners and poor form for a sibling. Harry shook her head ever so slightly. The cakes were my idea. I thought if we got you thinking about the past, you'd be able to snap yourself out of this. Just cast your mind back to when things were working better. And Harry did. Washington, February 12th, 1872, 11 years ago. Thomas Arlington returned home, tired but eager to be with his family. In the coal-warmed parlor, the heart of their threadbare house, he found his wife, Sarah, darning stockings upon the settee, his eight-year-old daughter, Truth, braiding her twin Harriet's hair at the dinner table, and their five-year-old brother, Frederick, sat to one side, drawing upon a worn slate with chalk. Thomas sat at the table and Sarah set down her work, drew up behind and gently laid her hands upon his shoulders, feeling them rigid with tension. Harry was sent home from school again today. Truth blurted out. This time for good. Her sister's head visibly lowered, only to have it hauled back by the sharp, insistent arranger of her hair. Sarah felt Thomas's shoulders rise further and his fingers clenched into fists. It was the same occurrence again, she said quietly, close to his ear. The growing pattern of her spells. This teacher... Regina Clark again. That's the lady. She contends that if Harriet cannot pay attention to what is being said, that there is no point in her being present. The mother did not let this hang and looked straight across at her daughter. But you do take in what is being said, don't you, my darling? Sometimes. When it all makes sense. Other times it doesn't and I just... I just kind of forget, or or it's like I wasn't there. Not present. Hmm. This is something we shall have to learn to live with. I have read book after book, article upon article, said Thomas in a low, measured tone to match his wife, about every documented mental condition bearing similarities to hers. The fits and trances and seizures, the spells of mental displacement. I have looked into what the doctors and families have had to deal with in these cases. My conclusion is that we keep her here at home while the other two continue their schooling. The parents glanced across to see Harry's eyes had lost focus. Her hands rested upon the tabletop, unmoving. She was away again. I will be her tutor. Sarah agreed, her tone bolstered by a decisive confidence that Thomas loved. We shall draw up charts of what maintains her presence and allow space and safety for her spells. Thank you, my darling, he muttered, quietly stroking the scarred back of her bare hand. It was always going to come to this. His shoulders slackened, but only a little. Can I skip school and stay home too? Truth asked. No, because you don't need to. You just want to. Agreed. You are canny and bold enough to take care of yourself, but I worry your sister may never reach a point where she does not require our constant attention and nurturing. His voice lowered so only Sarah could hear, and that worry is not only for Harry, but for the world. It 
It may not want her, but it needs her. He gazed at the faraway girl, a melancholy adoration passing across his features. I fear things will be hard out there, almost impossible. We must visualize a best-case scenario, Sarah said, louder now to re-include the children. And work together to make something like that happen. And if events fall short of our lofty ideals, we will still have been moving in the right direction, and we will have done what we can. Our plans will be contingent on other people, Thomas said darkly. That is where they will fall down. Then we should expect those falls, Sarah countered. Life is messy. Beside Harry, Frederick was finishing off his picture. It was an enormous oversized carriage with six huge wheels, drawn by half a dozen horses. Though with him being five years old, they better resembled small sausages balanced upon four cocktail sticks apiece. Harry's hand moved and she suddenly focused upon the slate, lightly snatching up a pink piece of chalk. And before Frederick could stop her, she had drawn a long line through the horses. The boy squeaked with indignation, and Harry retreated to the woods inside her mind. Harry drifted back to the present. Truth was still there. Three of the cakes were now gone. Your hair is becoming very untidy, her sister said. In Harry's eyes, she melted from child into her adult form and back again. Let me just give it a bit of attention, or it's going to turn into a rat's nest. She reached over and firmly grasped a fistful, retrieving a brush from the drawer of the nightstand. Get off me. Ah, it talks. See, I knew if we fixed you up. Get the hell off me. Harry hissed, slowly and venomously. Coldness crept over Truth as she withdrew her hands. She looked down at the unfocused eyes, the set brow, the mouth bunched firmly together. All right, if you're going to be a miserable sad sack, I shall take my leave. Truth shot back. I am only trying to help you, Harriet. There was no response, and Truth departed, shaking. You have been listening to episode 6 of Stone Spring Maidens, The Truth About Harry. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Director Catherine Holloway, performed by Maya Suris, who just got married. Congratulations, Maya. Truth Arlington, performed by Theo Lee. Sarah Arlington, performed by Maureen Foley. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Frederick Arlington, performed by Felix Quist. Narrator, Mr. White and Thomas Arlington, performed by Alex Shaw. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Relaxing Piano Music and Terminal, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including New Orleans Noir and Rainy Village by Tabletop Audio. Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse and the two newest, Panthersoul 
and Nightfall of the Wendigo. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hebner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Lukes, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. <laughs>